This is Carol McLeod, and I'm your host on the Significant Women podcast. Significant Women is a podcast for women to gather with their personal stories, dynamic hope, and wisdom gleaned from the ordinary days of an uncommon life. Our goal is to simply encourage women in every season of life that their story matters. When Jesus is involved in the details, Every woman's life can be a significant representation of all that He is. Over 40 years ago, I was deeply impacted by the life of Ellen DeCroon Stamps. Ellen had traveled with Corey Tenboom for over a decade when she met and fell in love with the campus chaplain at my university. Ellen and Bob have served the body of Christ around the world since their marriage and have also raised two amazing children. One of their children, Johanna, is now a young woman who is living wholeheartedly for Christ and for His kingdom. Johanna has experienced heart pain that is nearly too profound to talk about, and yet she's finding her way in life to live a life of indescribable joy. Even though Johanna and I are decades apart in age, Honestly, I'm old enough to be her mom. We have more that unites us than divides us. You see, Johanna and I share a very similar life call and passion. We've been called to live at the crossroads of joy and sorrow. You're going to love my rich, theological, yet practical conversation with Johanna Stamps. Her story matters, and so does yours. Well, I am so excited today that I have one of my new friends, one of my younger friends, <laughs> Johanna Stamps is with me, and I really know her because I know her parents so well. Johanna, your parents had more influence on my life than anybody at all, except my parents. Mm -hmm. so, so thank you for sharing them with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think it was before I was born, but you know, in retroactively, I I approve. <laughs> it was. It was. So just a little bit of context. Your dad, Bob Stamps, was the chaplain at Oral Roberts University when I was a student there. And then when I worked there, and he met and fell in love with your mom, Ellen DeCroon Stamps. Mm -hmm. um, and she was traveling with Corey Tenboom at the time. And it was a match made in heaven. And you are here now as, as the result of that wonderful heaven-made match. And you have your own story. And that's what we're yeah. going to talk about today. I'm so, sure we'll talk about my parents as well a little bit. but We will. But we are, will. Yeah. We'll yeah. get there. We'll get there. <laughs> or, or we can just have a whole other podcast about it. <laughs> we should. That's what we should do someday <laughs> is talk about spiritual legacy. But anyway, today we're going to talk about your story, about what God has done in your life, in your heart over the years. So, Johanna, what I always like to do at the beginning is just tell us who you are, not, not what you do, <laughs> but tell us who you are at your core and what has made you the woman you are today. <laughs> Well, I guess we could talk about my parents in that context. Oh, who am I? I think one thing that came up a lot as I was preparing for today was a lot about um, being a student of suffering mm. and just being in that space of, I want to understand it all. And I want to understand it from a theological context and 
and all of those things along the way. But there was that just kind of kept ringing over and over was all this suffering and all the things that I've encountered in my life is not for, it's not for nothing, but there's something rich that's there and, and something quite powerful. And I think we spoke probably like three months ago and you said some really powerful questions to me to take with me and then just to, to expand on them in my own life. And I feel like all of them, I, I have them in front of me. So let me read them. The one was, what is at the heart of my joy and suffering, how I process pain. And I feel like a lot of that is just by standing as a bystander to my life and saying, oh yeah, this, this has worth. My life has worth even the parts that I don't want to look at. And that was just, that was one of the most profound things that you had said that I really carried away from that conversation that I carry into today's conversation. Oh, wow. That, that's great because, Johanna, looking at you, you have a beautiful son, two years old. You've just been through a major health scare, but you're healthy and you're doing well. That's my zigzag. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you who are watching, you just see this, um, this joy that radiates from Johanna's face and life. But you've been through some hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you are no stranger to suffering and pain. And you were living a very successful life in South Africa. Am I right about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about your life there. Well, it was, it was extraordinary. I think I took a page from my mom's book when she started traveling with Corey. And around the same time that she started traveling with Corey was when in my life, I started to just you know, go out on my own and try to figure out, okay, how far can I push this adventure? And so when I was, I got a little bit, well, a lot burned out in New York, got on a plane to go to South Africa for a vacation and then landed there and said, oh, I'm sure this is what God wants for me. (laughs) (laughs) And it was wonderful. I spent 10 years in more or less 10 years in, in Africa, most of the time, you know, bouncing around sub-Saharan Africa with entrepreneurs having an incredible time. I mean, it was just, it was miraculous that that was my life. And I was expanding in faith and, and doing a lot of work with churches and with missionaries and things like that. But for the most part, I was understanding business. And so at one point I was excited about what my future was going to be. I met the man that fit into that, that scenario of what I had in my mind of, of how I was going to spend my days in Africa, the rest of my life in Africa and make it and have impact. You know, that was what was on my heart. And so things moved very, very quickly. I picked up my life in South Africa, moved to West Africa. Things were rocky from the time that I I set foot there. And then I became pregnant a few months later. And then, I mean, this is after we got married. (laughs) There was a marriage in there somewhere. And then, and then immediately right after that, everything started. Like it was, it was as if there was a trap door and I just went, it was horrible. And so 13 weeks into my pregnancy, my husband left me and I did what I think most driven women in that situation would do, which was put your head down and start to reinvent your life all over again when you didn't expect that that was going to be the, the case. And so I, I, that's exactly what I did was just put my head down and run forward. And it was, I think months into after my little one was born that I looked up and realized, oh, everything around me is gray. 
Like nothing has like, you know, color to it. Where's my joy? Like, where did that, (laughs) where did that go? And it wasn't like I had postpartum depression. I was just, I had a lot of grief that I was experiencing physically and subconsciously, but I hadn't worked through it. I hadn't brought any of that pain to God. And so the, the process of actually unpacking that and realizing, hmm, you know, what does God want to do with this situation was probably one of the most spiritually powerful areas of my life. And so that's the more, more or less the, that's the, the big overarching story. Okay. So just, just to reiterate, so, so you met your husband in South Africa, you came to America and got married. Mm-hmm. You moved to West Africa where you were going to build a life, a mm-hmm. family. And when you- And a mission. <laughs> a mission. <laughs> yeah. Whatever that was going to be. A calling. A um, calling. But you knew right away that your marriage was not a happy one, that it was falling apart. Like, what were the danger signals? What what were the yellow lights that you were seeing? Do you feel free to um, share that or just a yeah, of it? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there's probably a lot of women that have experienced something similar where you have all of the signals beforehand. Mm. You have all of the question marks beforehand, but you're just like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm 37 years old how incredible that God has provided for me at this stage, you know, that that's the, that was the, the mental picture that was there was, but this has to be the person because I've waited 37 years. (laughs) There's, I'm not going to look at these red flags. I'm going to turn myself away from them because, you know, everything's going to be okay. I can make this work. Mm -hmm. I can make this work. And so that unfortunately wasn't, it wasn't the case. I, you can't, make something work that's, that doesn't really even exist. Right. Because you were a highly successful woman. So you had made a lot of things work in your life. Oh yeah. I had made a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) But this was the one thing you couldn't really control. And so, so you're, you're pregnant and you're in, in West Africa, but sometime during pregnancy, you, you came home to America. True. Yeah, immediately at 13 weeks when I knew that I was going to have absolutely no support structure. And I had, it's a funny thing, they call it uh, morning sickness, but I think a lot of women actually actually experience first trimester sickness all the way through. And that's exactly what mine was, Okay, where I just, I never had relief. And to do that in a place that's relatively inhospitable and then having no support was not going to actually, it wasn't going to work. So did you wonder where God was or did you know he was with you? Um, I think at that point, and I think in, in large swaths of time in my life, I think I've, I've have felt like I've had a good relationship with God, but I think he's been kind of running alongside me. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, I'm, I'm pushing, I'm going, I'm running my marathon of life. I have all these things that I that I want to do or all of these dreams that I want to chase. And I've found, especially in the last year, that God really loves when we slow down. God really loves silence. And we don't get a lot of that in our world. And especially if we're not purposefully creating it for ourselves. And so I think that that has been the that's that has been the biggest lesson that I I think 
I would have said at that moment that I had, that my faith was fine, that me and God were okay. Um, but I think it's only in retrospect that I see that that probably wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you came home and you had this beautiful little baby boy. And then you said that you realized you were living in this gray existence. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, I mean, those are the times that you're supposed to be, wow, you know, overjoyed with the things that are happening. I mean, reality, (laughs) changing (laughs) lots and lots of diapers every single day and getting a lot less sleep than you're used to and everything in your life changing. Um, But I came to realize very quickly that that at least a, a portion of that was the fact that I hadn't even taken time to look back at the loss, at the sorrow that I had um, that I had experienced at that point. So what did you do to see the world in technicolor again? What, what did your healing journey look like? What were the, the disciplines, the practices that you realized, yeah, for me to be a healthy woman, a healthy mom, I need to do these things? So I think first it was probably understanding the fact that if I didn't do this, that my, my child was actually going to suffer. Like if I couldn't experience joy, then he was going to be limited in his experience of joy. And maybe that's kind of, that's flawed thinking, but at the time that was what I needed. I needed to realize that if I can go much, much deeper in my joy, which means that you probably need to go much, much deeper in your sorrow, because there seems to be kind of like a rubber band effect there, that if you can do that, then things can really change that he can have a different understanding of life. And so my, I think what happened next was that I had objections. I said, but I can't do this. I need to be strong for my little one. How am I going to, my understanding of grief at that moment was um, that you need to actually just melt down. Like you need to be so all over the place and so emotionally erratic that that for me was as creating a space for grief. And so that what is what I had to actually go through a learning process as well and, and realize oh, okay, okay. So that's not what God wants for us. Because, I mean, there's all sorts of scripture that talks about, you know, coming to comfort the person who's mourning. There's all sorts of things about that in the Bible, but what does he really want for me? And so I think the, the first thing that really happened for me after that was to realize that I needed to create containers for my grief. And that's not repressing grief. That's creating a beautiful place for me to take the good memories of what happened, to take the sorrowness of what happened, and then to be able to take that out and to allow for those thoughts and those feelings to exist, to acknowledge them, to look at them with like, you know, to be quizzical and curious about what those thoughts and feelings were. And then it was, okay, how can we use creativity? How can we use places of peace? How can we use what, whatever the tools are at that moment to encapsulate that grief so that on the other side, I could start generating joy again. And I talk about it now, like I want to be able to let my joy run wild. And Mm -hmm. if grief is running wild in our life, we can't actually encapsulate. We're encapsulating our joy if our grief is running running wild. Mm -hmm. If we create a container for our grief, then our joy can run wild, which is for me, that's the most beautiful thing is that when we can figure that out, when we've gone through some very, very deep sorrows, then we have a way to be able to find that balance of 
of joy and pain. But I think at some point, and I don't remember exactly in the timeline when this happened, but I had been doing, and, and I continue to do a lot of research about you know, theology of suffering and trying to understand what the, what the church you know, throughout history has said about this. But I've, what I've come to realize is that the people that have figured this out, and I mean, that might be a generalization, but when somebody has an encounter with Christ, a personal encounter with Christ about this question of why, why suffering, and Christ comes and tells their spirit, their soul, what the answer is, then suddenly that joy is much more possible then suddenly it makes sense. And it might not make sense to the rest of the world, but I found for myself, I didn't need to have all of the theological answers. I needed God to tell me in my spirit, what's the answer for my suffering in my life. So I think that's probably a really long answer for your question. <laughs> no, but it's it's a powerful answer and it helped me. So I, I'm in every woman. So I, I have a feeling it will help others as well. The picture you painted of, you said encapsulating your grief. I, I've always, the way I have um, verbalized it is giving your grief boundaries yeah. um, as to where yeah. you can go and when you can go there. Mm -hmm. Because there are moments when you need to experience the pain. You can't mask it. But, but there are also moments when you need to say, okay, grief. I'm going to give you a boundary right now so mm -hmm. that I can move on. And, and you might come back to, to grief. But for me, I've had to give it boundaries so that yes. it didn't consume the woman that I am. Exactly. And I think the other thing is then if you know that you're going to go into a situation, like I have a client and friend, more of a friend than a client that is going into situations in the future that she knows that she's going to, there's going to be triggers for her grief, then there's some preemptive work that you can do. You don't have to just blindly go into a situation. You can preemptively work on, okay, where am I going to be? What are the experiences going to be? What can, what can I, what's a memory that I can hang on to in those moments that can bring me back into a reality, can bring me back into my place of joy? You know, what is, what do I need to do more of? Maybe there's something that brings somebody a lot of joy that do more of that that week when you know that you're going to be in a situation where there's going to be a lot of triggers for grief. Um, and so I, I think that's another really great kind of, I guess, spiritual legacy to, to pass on to, to the little boy as well. And to say, Hey, you know, my mom figured this out. Let's, let's give this a try later because he's going to have his own issues. And I think the kind of the epilogue to, to the story is that by absolutely grace of God, Julian has a father and, and has a father that is that has been doing a lot of work for himself. And we have an amazing relationship as a family. It's not perfect, but we have an amazing relationship as a family. And Julian will know that he has a father on earth, earth who loves him as well as a father in heaven who loves him. And so I think that's kind of just a kind of the soft landing for all of this is that it's still a work in progress, but there's some really great there's some great things that have come out of this time. So Julian's father lives in West Africa still, and you're in America. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what do you do to help Julian build the relationship with his dad in a practical sense? 
So I think the miracle of technology has been wonderful and making sure that that connection is there every single day. Oh, really? And Oh, yeah. So every day they they FaceTime or or see each Um, other. So there's some sort of like there's video or photo content that's passed every day. Okay. We for all of COVID, we're doing a lot of a lot of video chat. And it was one of the most wonderful moments of my life when we got to the airport and Julian ran to his father and hugged him. Mm. Like that was that was wonderful. But I think the biggest thing is really how do I use self-management for myself when I'm in my deepest moments of pain? How do I not taint this little boy's existence or his understanding of his father? And so I, from every word that comes out of my mouth, I want to make sure that he is honored and lifted up and respected. And I think that that's probably been a a really big part of, um, I think of our journey of, of hope. The three of us is, is making sure that, that there is that, that joyfulness and that consistent, you know, love. And as Corey would talk about, (laughs) Corey Tenboom would talk about a a radical forgiveness that's there and living into that. Mm -hmm. You know, Johanna, one time a counselor told me, now let me say the whole thing, don't panic, but let me say the whole thing that um, children who one of their parents has actually deceased in some ways they're healthier emotionally than the children of divorced parents. And the counselor said, the reason that is, is because a deceased parent is talked about in such glowing terms. Mm -hmm. They almost become heroic Mm -hmm. and their pictures are still around the family home and they're included in conversation. Whereas when a divorce takes place, there are no pictures and any Mm -hmm. conversation would be negative rather than positive. And so the counselor's point was, what can we do to make sure that children who've suffered a a divorce of their parents are healthy? Well, you talk about their parents. You you say, you know, this is your daddy and you have pictures and, and any conversation you, you have is as positive as you can make it so that he grows up knowing that he's got a good dad. Yeah. So I love that. And I, and I said all that, Johanna, not to be discouraging, but to be encouraging to all the moms, all the single moms out there, that there is a way that, that you can still have a thankful home Mm -hmm. and, and, and turn the conversation to something positive. One of my children was especially melancholy, Johanna. Mm -hmm. And so every night as I would tuck him into bed, I would say to him, now tell me the good things that happened today. Mm -hmm. Tell me the things that you're grateful for today. Or tell me why that thought makes you so sad. Is there a way that we could take that thought and and help it be happier. Because as a mom, we have to coach our children emotionally, right? We can't control our children emotionally, but I love it that you're coaching Julian emotionally. Mm -hmm. So tell us, Johanna, as a single mom, what you are doing for this little boy that God's given you to help (laughs) him grow up emotionally. Yeah, I think uh, the the word that's been on my mind a lot about that recently has been discerning, mm. and and how do we discern what God actually does want for us? Because I think when 
my driven mind back 13 weeks into the pregnancy started to think about what was what was next. In my mind, it was, well, it would make really good sense for me to be a, you know, some sort of um, a consultant for McKinsey. And I would work to translate business between America and Africa. And I'm going to have a nanny who's going to fly back and forth with me and the baby. Mm -hmm. That was it. (laughs) That was in my mind. That was what was going to happen. And so it was, it was kind of like a, you know, peeling the onion back for those months um, while I was getting ready to, to have Julian and then to realize, oh, okay, like this is, this is actually a significant four years, not just of my life, but of the little one who's about to be born. And, you know, I don't even remember who the, it was a quotation from somebody about doing everything possible in those moments to be as present as possible. And so at the moment it was, okay, so how can I, then it was, how can I manage a nine to five and then the cost of childcare, the cost of healthcare and all of those things. And so what happened, I think over those next couple of months was that I realized, okay, what is the most basic existence that I can have during this time in order for me to be a present and joyful person in my child's life. And so that meant that I am not going to go out right now and find myself a 4,000 foot house to live in. Um, I have to also balance taking care of my parents in this, these years of their existence. So we stay very close to each other. And, and it became this process of saying, okay, so if I'm going to be present then for Julian from day to day, then how can I do that in, in a way of creating peace and joy in his life? And so the next step was, how do we arrange our day? So for the first two years of his life, it was, we're going to go on a two and a half hour walk every morning in the woods. And like, that sounds crazy for most people, but for us, it was like, okay, this is actually what God wants for us. We're okay with this. If God just wants for us to be present and still um, and to be in beauty and to, and to pray. And if that's it, then that's great. And so it just became this kind of experience of listening to really what God wanted for me and for Julian, as opposed to saying, okay, I need to go get a job. I need to do all these things because the world is telling me. Instead, it became this, okay, what does God really want for us? And what, what he wanted for us was a very, very trimmed down, very basic existence so that we could enjoy each other, so that we didn't have to be pushed to the nth and to make all of these, like all of these things in our life exist. And we've been provided for just across the board. We've been provided for. Wow. And so it gave me complete, a different perspective on trusting God of his providing and provisions. Like those words like are very magical for me right now because we don't have to worry. We just exist in our little minute world and everything is, I mean, I mean, I sound like kind of a giddy little girl because that's what I feel like most days. And we talk about it all the time, how incredibly blessed we are. But a big reason why we're so blessed is because I didn't need to go to some sort of an extreme to create a life for myself, mm-hmm. to, to be something that Julian didn't need me to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he just needs you to be his mom right now. Exactly. So when I hear you talk about the walk, 
that you take <laughs> every morning. You know, Johanna, I have been meditating on Psalm 23 um, this year and just really digging for gold in it. And I'm like mm. you, I love to walk outside. I'm not a treadmill kind of girl. I'm not a gym kind of girl. I have to be outside. And let me read to you a passage from the 23rd Psalm. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Mm-hmm. And Johanna, there's something so restorative for you and for me, well, I, for all of us, about the wonder and the beauty that takes place when we're outside. And you're giving Julian a great gift because you're not only giving him the gift of time, which I've heard it said before that to a child, love is spelled T-I-M-E. So you're giving him that, but you're also teaching him the grandeur of what God mm. has given to us. So you're, it's not a screen. It's, it, you know, it's, it's not bells and whistles, but it's the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are in, we generally will find ourselves somehow in the, like in some sort of a beautiful structure as well during the day. So in some sort of a church or in something like that. And we're, he just, he has this really interesting way about himself and it might've been the amount of time that we spent outside in his love for beauty, but he connects a lot in beautiful Christian architectural spaces. It's fascinating to me. And I think a lot of it has to do with children, especially right now, need to have places of peace and reverence. And I've noticed that with him. I don't think that he's unique in that. I think that other there's lots of other children who would appreciate that as well. Um, instead of taking him into a place where he needs to be quiet and I need to make sure that he's still and make sure that he's quiet at this point, and he's young, I mean, he's he's just... <laughs> just over two. But when he goes into those places, it's like peace enters him. Mm. He doesn't need to be shushed. And the same thing happens. Like if my parents are taking him to church, that, that people are just like, how does this happen? It's just like, I think that children actually want that. I think that they actually would like to have those places of peace, but I don't know. He just loves it. He's a very extraordinary little kid. I don't mean to minimize him and, and all that he is, but he's just, it's, it's magical to see him in those spaces. Yeah. And I love it that you say that you're, you're including reverence in his life. Oh yeah. That, that's such a beautiful thing for a mom to do. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that the moms who are listening today sort of catch a vision for some of the practices that you're incorporating into your motherhood journey, creation, and reverence and, and that quietness, you know, children can be overstimulated. And so Mm -hmm. I love it that you're, that you're building a place for him to be a reverent child, um, Mm -hmm. to drink in the bigness of God and what he's done for us. Mm -hmm. I think that it was, I can't, I actually have to look it up because I found different references to this. But I am pretty sure that it was Plato who said that education is actually learning to love beauty. Mm. So it was one of the yes. one of the great philosophers, and, and Plato had so much to say about education that I would believe that it was him. But that to me, I, I don't know, remember where I heard it when when Julian was very young, but I did, and that became very real to us. And so finding places of beauty 
And I think that that's just kind of naturally who I am as well, because I'm, I always want to be in touch with beauty because it does so much for my soul, but wow. I mean, those, that idea is so magical that if we actually create those spaces for our child to love beauty and to understand what beauty is, then he has the option later to understand what's not beautiful. And so I feel like that for me is, is a, a little nugget from from someone along this journey (laughs) that just, it makes a lot of sense to me. It does. It does. Oh, how I love the time that I'm spending with Johanna Stamps today. I just couldn't wait to share our conversation with all of you. But before we rejoin the sweet time that Johanna and I shared, I'd like to tell you about some other avenues of ministry in which I'm involved. Did you know that this is not my only podcast? I also host a weekly podcast, A Jolt of Joy, on the Charisma Podcast Network. It's a podcast that focuses on teaching the Word of God to the women in my generation. I hope that you'll join me there every week. A Jolt of Joy on the Charisma Podcast Network. And also, I write a weekly blog that's titled Joy for the Journey. And who doesn't need that, right? We all need more joy in our life's journey. Unbelievably, my blog has been listed in the top 50 faith blogs for women. If you'd like to sign up to receive Joy for the Journey every week in your email inbox, you can simply go to my website, Carol McLeod Ministries, and sign up there. But now it's time to fix yourself a cup of good, strong English tea and to lean in and listen to the richness that Johanna Stamps is sharing with us today. So, Johanna, I want to revisit something you said a few minutes ago about when you know that you're going to be in a situation that triggers grief, Mm. that triggers sorrow or emotional pain— some of the things you can do to prepare for that. Yeah. And, and you you talked about, well, what I heard you say was preparing your mind so that you're you're thinking um, some joyful thoughts. You're, you're staying in a place of gratitude. And I heard you say also, what are the things that bring you joy? And do oh, yeah. more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me, what are some of the things that bring you joy? What are some of the things that you would do knowing that, oh, this is going to be hard for me? So what are some yeah. of the joy bestowers that are part of your life? Yeah. And it was funny because just before Julian was born, I started to, I don't even remember why, but I just started to paint with watercolor. I'd never been very artistic before, um, but just started and just kind of played with it. And so for me, just being able to have that as an access point that I can sit there, that I can just, I can sketch, I can do whatever is, is necessary in order for me to take my place to my mind to a place of creativity. Because if I can go there, then it's, it's like an opportunity for me to get out of the way and for God to use me. If I can get that right, if I can just be that fluid instrument for God to use me in those circumstances and just like sitting with my little watercolors, then it's a nice little place for, for me to activate that in other areas of my life. So that is one, you know, top of the list has been a wonderful gift in my life, just having that, that creativity. 
I feel like I'm also really blessed just to be a, a journaler, somebody who can write very, very quickly, sit down and just write out thoughts. And what I've learned as I've studied suffering and grief is that if we can actually understand what our, our dominant thoughts are, because we're having thoughts all day long, and if we can't capture them and realize what they are, then who knows what life is going to be like when you get into a situation where you have triggers for grief. And so for me, just being able to capture, okay, what is on my mind in this moment? Because more, more often than not, that's going to turn into a prayer. It's not just going to be, okay, th- this is my thought. It's going to be, oh, okay, this is also my prayer, or this is my question for you, God. This is what I'm putting down here. Now, what is the scripture that's the answer? Who is the person that you're going to bring into my life that's going to answer that question? Whatever it is. So I think those are a couple areas for me, but I think it's going to be different for for everybody. I mean, there's people that have, um, you know, exercise, different types of exercise that bring them joy. But just knowing that, being very aware of what that is in your life is very important because if we don't, if we don't actually kickstart that joy when it runs, when it starts going down, then we can be down for the count for a very long time if we've experienced an area of loss. I think they say like five to eight years unless you start dealing with that grief. Mm-hmm. So one question I always like to ask is, you know, Hannah, when you think about your life and all the things you've experienced, what is the one lesson that you feel qualified? to teach other women? I think that that the lesson kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about holding, that we actually can hold a space for grief and for joy in our life, that there is a, we have the capacity to do that. I feel like there's this, this kind of way of thinking in the world that says, okay, if you're going to be suffering, you're going to be suffering. And that's, you, there's no way that you can have joy in those moments. But to be able to wake up in a day where I've experienced something like a melanoma diagnosis and still to kind of be in this joyful space, I think it's, it's kind of magical. And I know that it's something that is in some ways it can be unique to our, our faith. Um, But to actually be able to have, hold that space of joy and gratitude, even in a space of distinct suffering in areas where, where I'm suffering it seems, yeah, it seems otherworldly sometimes when I think about that. And just to know, and I mean, that's going to be my area of exploration for the rest of my life. How does, how do we get the rest of the world to understand this? Because if we do, then we don't have to be ashamed of our suffering. Our suffering isn't, isn't necessarily something that we have to hide away or repress would be the other way of, the other way of dealing with it. How do we hold it? How do we cherish it? And how do we unpack it? And then how do we actually continue to live in that area of joy? And I think that that's one of the things that drew you and I to each other is that we both have this common amazement with the spiritual knowledge that joy and suffering are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, they might be the most beautiful of twins to understand that the place where joy and suffering meets in your life is a place of glory. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a cemetery for dreams. It's, but it's, it's a place, you know, you know, Johanna, when you're driving along the road, 
the mountains and it says out oh, something view ahead. This where, yeah. It's where you pull <laughs> off to see the yeah. view. To me, that's suffering and joy. Mm. There's a view there that you're not going to get anywhere else in life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful view. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. If I could have understood some of this younger, when I was younger, there would have been a lot of different points of vistas in my life. So what would you tell the 18-year-old you? If you could give the 18-year-old Johanna just a word of advice, encouragement, what would you tell her? I think go there, like go, go into those deep, dark areas. Cause that's, that's where you're going to encounter Christ. Like, I mean, those were the areas that as I started to do my healing work, as I got older, it was the area that I went into the memory and could see Christ standing next to me, crying his eyes out with me, you know, and then leading me beyond that memory. I mean, that's, that's the type of God that we serve, that he's there with us in those moments. And if we, if we don't allow ourselves to go there, then we don't allow ourselves to actually encounter our risen savior. And that's one of the most powerful things of our faith. So why would we not want to go there? Mm-hmm. I know it's scary. I know. And, but I, I often back in the day, I kept thinking someday it'd be really fun to have a business called happy healing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I didn't know what it was going to be at the time. And maybe at some point there will be a business called Happy Healing. But I have found, and I'm sure a lot of people would echo this, that sometimes when you go into your suffering and look at those areas of suffering, it's not more suffering on the other side. You actually, it uncovers this this kind of plethora of joy that you didn't even know was there. So why not go there? So you were raised in a home where your parents were really leaders in the body of Christ Mm -hmm. on many levels. Have you always had a vibrant faith? Did you walk away from your faith and come back? What, what does your faith story look like just in a nutshell? Well, I think that probably the story that encapsulates everything was that my dad, when I went off to college and he doesn't remember telling me this, but I think it's a really good story to tell other people that are, that have children that are, that kind of have been growing up in the church. He told me, okay, I don't want you to go to church. I want you to experience every other faith. And then I have enough faith in Christianity that you'll come back to it. And so I went off. I mean, I was like, you know, sure. Okay. Let me, let me look into Judaism and Islam and let me spend some time at Buddhist centers meditating. And a lot of those things, I mean, in this day and age, it's very powerful to actually know so much about other types of faith. But it's also really powerful to have some of those practices. I mean, I wouldn't have the ability to meditate in the way that I do on scripture now if it wasn't for those times that I spent at, you know, Buddhist centers studying that that way of doing things. But my dad was right, even if he doesn't remember saying it, that there is, there's so much in Christianity and there was no reason to have for him with me there wasn't any reason for him to have any discouragement or, you know, any anxiety about me eventually coming back to faith. And so, I mean, I don't know what my faith is going to to look like in another 10 years. I can't imagine because I feel like I'm just like, you know, the bells are going off every day. I don't know how it gets better than this, but we'll see. We'll see. see. Um, So Julian, as he grows up and as he thinks about his mom, 
What is the one thing you want him to know about his mom? So every night when I put him to bed, after we say prayers, after we do our Psalm 91 um, and everything else, then I say, Julian, I love you. And then we go through this like litany of other people that love him. And then we say, then I say, but God loves you the most. He loves you more than all of us put together. And he made you very special. And my only job is to help you to become the man that God created you to be. Mm. And so I, I think he already knows that. I mean, he already like, you know, finishes that sentence anyway. So that's already a part of his being. And so I hope that that's what he takes away from his knowledge of who I am in his life. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. <laughs> He's so blessed to have you for a mom. He really is. <laughs> we have a lot of fun. Sometimes I feel like I'm cheating. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is, this is what it's about. This is so much fun. Such and I, I mean, we'll see what happens down yeah. the road, but we have a lot of fun. So in closing, I, I like to do this little thing called my favorite things, Johanna. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to ask you, I'm, I'm just going to put something in front of you and as quickly as you can respond and tell us what's your favorite. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what is your right now, your favorite book other than the, the Bible? What is your favorite book right now? Um, Cardinal Sarah's book on the dictatorship of noise. Ooh. How to live in silence. Very good. Very good. I mean, Ooh. it'll probably be like open on my coffee table for the next year because it's very dense, but it's beautiful. So say the, tell us the author and the title one more time. Cardinal Sarah, and it's the dictatorship of noise. I can't remember if that's the something of silence. Well, anyway, I'll send okay. it to you and you can okay. put it in the show notes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, what Right now, what is your favorite worship song? You know, the song that just like pierces your heart and you sing it with tears rolling down your cheeks. What's that song for you right now? Um, it is I Surrender All, but it's the Carrie Underwood version. She did her album of My Savior. And we've been listening to the whole album. But I actually, I always kind of felt like that song was very trite. I, I don't, not, nothing to say, my, like we're family friends with the, with the Gaither family. But I always kind of thought, oh, you know, holding that baby in your arms is kind of, you know, kind of a, a silly little thing to put in the middle of, of a song like that about surrendering to God. But as a mother, when you hear that verse about he can, you can actually have confidence in who he is because of Christ. So you don't have to worry about your child because of Christ. That to me, all of a sudden, when I get to that verse and there's a lot of other bands that have taken that, that verse out of it. And I think it's because they're not parents yet. I think they'll regret not having that verse in there, but it is good. It's good. So good. So good. Mm-hmm. You know, so my good. favorite, my favorite song on that CD is the one she sings with Cece Wine and oh. oh, I just love it. Just mm. love it. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite way to rejuvenate? We do a lot of singing in the car. Oh, good. Good. Keep that music playing for that boy. Favorite oh, way to rejuvenate. Yeah. Um just being outside, especially when it's crisp and fall outside. I mean, this morning, I'll send you a video from this morning, but we went down to the river and the sun was just coming up. And then there was like, like little like dew and things just dancing on the water. It was just amazing. So that's good for us. Your favorite holiday? Hmm. That's so funny. Um, I mean, Christmas is there just because of the, of the joy that's around it. Yeah. 
Yeah, the birth of Christ. Mm. Okay, so now tell us your favorite scripture and why. Um, yeah, I mean, gosh, it's funny because I, I wrote you something different yesterday, but right now it's I can do all things. <laughs> Through Christ, you strengthens me. That's what's there on my heart right now. So I'm going to go with that. <laughs> And you can, you can do all things through Christ. And isn't it interesting that that's where you landed at the end of the interview, because we already know you, you've accomplished so much in your lifetime. You're such a go-getter. You were a a successful businesswoman, international businesswoman, and the process, the journey that Christ has taken you on. Now you can say it's through him that Mm -hmm. I can do all things. Mm -hmm. Amen. I love it. Amen. Well, before we go, would you pray for the women who are listening? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I definitely will. Okay. Lord God, we just ask you to, um, to just be with the women that um, have come to the end of this podcast with us. Um, I just pray right now for their hearts, but also for the walk that they're on, especially mothers, especially in the the way that their their children are walking with them. I just see lots of children hitting the <laughs> hitting the floor on their knees with their moms um, just in those moments of need and Lord we know that we have so much need in this world right now and so we just ask that wherever these women are right now that they would be the example for their children um, that they would just get down there and pray with them and show that as an example how we trust in God and Lord just alive in the spirit of trust within us, alive in the wonder of the desire for beauty in this world, and walk with us every single step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I just want to tell you, you're significant. Thank you. (laughs) You too. Wow, Johanna has given us much to think about, hasn't she? Didn't you just love her approach to parenting? Her heart is pure and fast, and I love getting to be just a very small part of her life. Thank you for joining me this week on Significant Women. I hope that you'll share this episode with your friends, as well as leave a review on our hosting platforms. Just a few words of recommendation really mean the world to us. Now, my friend, I want you to remember on good days and on hard days, in easy times and in the challenging times, that you're significant because you've been made in the image of God. He has stamped you with His power and with His creativity. He has given you His mind and His heart. You, my friend, you are a significant woman indeed.